0: Disclaimer, due to safety measures in place to stop the spread of COVID-19, we are recording this episode remotely. We apologize in advance for any audio issues. Due to the nature of this program, we may speak on certain issues that are considered distressing for certain people. Please note that we we are not full experts and we reserve our rights to share our opinions during this program that may differ from yours, although we try to be as fair as possible. We do this in the name of education and for the good of the world. Please note that this episode is live and not scripted. There may be intermittent pauses when we need to refer to certain articles or notes, so we seek your understanding. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our annual state of the world review of this podcast program that we have. It's been a long time since our last episode. But again, my name is Jalen Chua. I'm the host of this podcast. And together with me today is my co-host, Fatima. Hi,
1: everyone, I'm Fatima Musharat.
0: And of course, we have back our special guest, Kim. Welcome back.
2: Hi, everybody.
0: And I'm just going to say, uh, this year has been um, not the best we've had in a long time. It's been half of year, half a year since the last episode in June. And based on what I see on the program list today, a lot has happened since then. Okay, so as we always do, uh, we're going to go around the world uh, in this state of the world review, starting in Asia and making our way around the world to end somewhere in America. Right. But of course, we have to start with the elephant in the room here, the pandemic that is still playing the entire world until today. Now, as of a few weeks ago, the case number is uh, somewhere in the rounds of 262 million cases. And there has been a large, large increase since 15th of June. And on the death sites, there's also been an increase of around 2 million deaths since June. So, half a year, 2 million deaths is not very good, I guess. Yeah. So, on the last episode, we did mention a part where we said the pandemic is getting worse. And of course, uh, sadly, that proved quite true, uh, as we have seen here. Now I'm just going to bring you through what some major developments in the COVID situation here in Singapore. right? So shortly after we add the first episode of this year in June, the cases in the country spiked due to the Delta variant spread. And we introduced the phase two heightened alert measures again. Right? And then a month later, uh, this heightened alert was uh, eased off and then we had something known as the preparatory G stage. And this is where the government introduced, you know, the endemicity measures and all that, which we all look forward to, uh, and we all believe that could happen somewhere in September of this year. And clearly, we had other plans. The virus had other plans for us. It was and a
1: light at the end of a tunnel. Really, really hmm. felt like you know
0: you could just touch it, but it was gone. Oh well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, 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 this happens, lah. Huh? <laughs> Now, if you think about it, it, I mean, some people don't understand this entire idea, why are we doing this over and over again? Mm-hmm. If you just put yourselves in the foot, uh, in the shoes of the virus, I know it's not actually a living thing, but yeah, basically, it's the same idea. You're trying to survive. As a human, you're trying to survive by keeping yourself away from this virus. Mm-hmm. The virus just does the same thing by killing more people and spreading itself into even more areas of the world. So it continues to be able to spread and spread. And that's why you have mutations, right? And uh, Delta variant uh, is still spreading. It is still the main spreading uh, variant that we have today. Uh, And that's why uh, a month after the preparatory stage was introduced, another large spike in infections was recorded. If you remember the Jerome Fish report, the ktv clusters and all that kind of stuff yeah <laughs> and then there we go we have something known as the stabilization phase which is essentially putting the brakes on the transition to animosity. and this was extended just a few weeks ago on the 21st of november on 22nd november we exited the stabilization phase to enter the transition phase as we are right now so One thing that has been very clearly changed since June or even last year is the introduction of the vaccinated travel lanes with a lot of countries around the world. And so uh, I'm sure a lot of your friends and families are very eager to get on a plane and get out of here as soon as possible.
3: Uh, But
0: any of your friends are going somewhere across the world that you know of?
2: Well, I mean office. they're mostly yeah. Office, go ahead. Oh um yeah but they're mostly overseas already actually yeah you can see their update on
0: Instagram ah, Yeah, yeah I, I mean it's December so there <laughs> yeah, isn't yeah really much time left
1: on my side um it's more of like family because we haven't seen family in over two mm-hmm. years right so yeah. mom sis everyone went overseas for a while and they're coming back and you can really see that um, all of them are coming back via the vaccinated travel lanes so um, you know there's a lot of planning behind it you have to call ICA you have right. to take like three tests almost when you have to come when you're coming back on the flight there as well it's a very complicated thing but yeah i mean i wanted to go as well but yes, <laughs> you
0: know yeah so um <laughs> it's a bit weird to see after two years of yes <laughs> yeah. taking no here you know, you suddenly see these standard posts of huh? people with their passports and their boarding pass.
1: <laughs> I used to do that too. But... I haven't seen my passport in a very long time. <laughs> yeah,
2: website?
0: actually. Uh, yeah, I don't know where I kept my passport. <laughs> I have to find it again. <laughs> but yeah, anyways, uh, so these VTLs brought a lot of hope, especially for our tourism and F&B uh, mm-hmm. sectors in Singapore and of course around the world. Uh, Right now, I believe we have VTLs with South Korea, uh, the US, of course Malaysia, the very important one, and a lot (laughs) of other countries. But it just so happens, like I said, the virus is not going to let you go easy. And we will talk about that very soon on the Omicron variant that was introduced, not introduced. (laughs) (laughs) Introduced. No, it was discovered uh, just one or two weeks ago in South Africa. And because of that, the already complicated VTL process was made even more difficult with more measures. Some countries stopping the VTL altogether. Yeah, quarantines, testing, and whatnot. And even like like I think one of my uh, friends went to Korea for a few weeks. She had to take four tests in total which totaled up to about a hundred and fifty dollars just for four tests
1: PCR tests are very expensive
0: yeah yeah we're trying to make money (laughs) of course. (laughs) you have to pay them but yeah anyways so like we said just so happened that when the VTL opened with Malaysia I think last week Omicron started to be uh, you know a rather large issue in the international community and I think what the prime ministers of both countries said that now that we open the borders with each other we probably won't close the borders ever again. So that essentially means that whatever COVID-19 cases that come to both Singapore and Malaysia will now be shared between the both countries. So the burden is double in it if you think about it. It's not exactly double, Singapore is much smaller than Malaysia. But yeah, you, you get what I mean. Mm. So Omicron may not seem like a very large thing to a lot of people because it's still very unknown. But I can assure you that it is spreading very silently across the world without you even knowing it. Right? That's what happened with Delta at, at, the start of, at the end of last year, in fact. So my question now for both of you is, is this vaccinated travel lane policies a good idea in this time, or should it have waited a bit longer before any uh, sort of plans have been drawn up?
1: Right. So um, we were talking about it when it when we you know we found out the measures were introduced. Right. We were talking about it, mm-hmm. and everyone was like, "We both of us said, you know, it, it seems kind of too early, isn't it? Because a lot of countries." actually don't really have their cases under control right. but you know that then you come back to the whole thing about you know not seeing family for so many uh, almost a year o- and over right so mm. there was a lot more to consider than just the consequences of the virus and i guess that's what prompted the government i guess to make this kind this call right. itself and i do think it was too early because i mean delta literally you know I, it didn't make sense at the time, right? But like, yeah. you know, seeing my family on my side, you know, you kind of understand why. But I think, you know, it was too much too soon. That mm. uh, That's obviously what we saw with Omricon, you know. It was reported somewhere and then somewhere in the news you see that it was actually detected a few weeks earlier.
0: Right. So right.
1: It's definitely... It's a lot, yeah. <laughs> Kim?
2: Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's actually the correct timing because um, yeah, it's just too much all at once. But if mm-hmm. they did it a bit more slowly, I think that the timing was would be great. Because you can see there are countries that have suddenly put down lockdowns like Germany. So I actually have mm-hmm. a friend who was supposed to go there but couldn't. And then there's also the new quarantine measures for those coming into Australia and South Korea. So great. this is really the rush things just because... Um, yeah, they rushed the whole process and decided that everybody could go to almost anywhere. So I think it would have been better if the countries did it more slowly. But at the mm. same time, I think that it was a good time to actually have a start on it since tourism really is uh, badly affected and mm. it's good to start again, yeah.
0: Right, so so I think, like, most of them make valid points there. But I think one of the main concerns that have been pointed out to me was that This is somewhat giving people a sense of false hope as well. In the sense that, you know, you have VTLs and then all of a sudden, either you cannot even go on the VTL or or you cannot even enter their country due to the spread of whatever, whatever. And that kind of false hope, essentially, it's more painful than staying, just doing dormant in in Singapore for a long time. Because you get your hopes way up. So the, the drop when you, when you uh, find out that you cannot actually enter whatever country they are going to is much greater than not even having the idea in the first place. Yeah, but people definitely. still still you know, make the effort to go because technically you can go to most of these countries in the past just that you had to quarantine for 14 days.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And the costs you know, are very, very, very expensive especially when, when the government of that country is not going to pay for your quarantine. Right. Right.
1: If I mm-hmm. could add something there, right? I think mm. what we saw, you know, on the news, you'll see you know, um, stories that are stranded in other countries because of sudden right. introduced um, measures, right, and lockdowns here and there. And I think that kind of, kind of added to the pressure for the government because now it's like mm. no one's going to believe you, right? I think that's what we saw on social media as well, right? A lot yeah. of people were complaining about... You know, why Why are we changing phases every so often? And, you know, it, it does put a strain on, I guess, how much the public, I wouldn't say trust you, but like, huh. it kind of, you know, it fluctuates, right? And I don't think that's yeah. a very good thing in time of a crisis.
0: Mm. Yeah. It, it is important. Uh, if you look around the world, you can see the different levels of... Uh, either complacency uh, with regards to the virus or whatnot. In Singapore, complacency definitely exists. It's a large phenomenon that we have, uh, especially when cases are low. Uh, cases are low, the good thing is that, of course, we it, it is a much safer environment to go and do whatever things and, of course, support the economy, which is important. But it poses the risk also that doesn't mean that cases are low, means the spread is low. Delta and even Omicron can spread in the dark without you even knowing it and we have asymptomatic cases all the time and then you see those areas like even people queuing up for Toto and 4D uh, the queues are miles long with very old people in the queue and then they're all just queuing there together in one bunch. This Even this type of events and and phenomenons that you see that used to be very very common uh, all across singapore and of of course in in the world these sort of things can have the can have a very large opportunity to become super spreader events Mm. at any time it just takes one person just a few milliseconds of doing something off and then everybody gets infected that's a very real possibility as well Mm. Which, moves, which makes me move on to the next point here. We know that health is important, of course, which is why countries, some countries opt to have a lockdown, especially uh, in Europe. I know Austria, Germany have introduced lockdowns, especially for the unvaccinated population. But at the same time, it's the same debate as last year. The economy is going to fluctuate. It's going to fail if you have a lockdown that is way too long. And the people are, of course, not going to be very content, especially uh, if you see in Australia also. So the debate here is which one is more important, lives or livelihoods? And how do you choose which policy to focus on at what time as a government of some country? So Fatima, maybe you want to get us started?
1: So, like, you know, like I was saying, right? People hasn't haven't had. Sorry, people have not seen families in so long. You know, the issue with Malaysian workers in mm. Singapore and Singaporean workers on the other side of the border. These are all things. This is life, livelihoods, right? But for me, you know, seeing okay, when you're talking about lives, you know, we get uh, the WhatsApp updates from the government mm. on the cases and everything. You know, it really scared me. The period of time where you see double digits for deaths, right? Uh, Because we saw it in the news for countries like the United States, and it was never a possibility here. For for us here, it was, you know, one or two deaths in, like, a week, and then suddenly you see a spike, and there's, like, 13 deaths, and that's that's such a scary thing to look at. That's Mm -hmm. such a scary statistic to see, right? Mm. But on the other side, obviously, you know, economy, if you do, like, watch the business side of the news, which I rarely do because I don't understand anything. But um you can see how badly, no not maybe not how badly, but how important um the recovery from the first lockdown that we initially had, how difficult that road is already going to be. Yeah. So I think, you know, you hear from ex- experts all the time. And I what I want to say is, you know, Kim's point about gradual Reopenings. I think that should be applied everywhere, you know, for all aspects, you know, starting from the economy to BTLs, to flights and everything, you know, to reju- to rejuvenate all the different sectors that have been affected.
0: Mm. Mm. Right. Keep you wanna say something?
2: Uh well the whole debate on lives versus livelihood, it's really difficult to take a stand because for example, um for traveling some people actually do need it so that it's easier to sort mm. business. Um I'm not so sure if there's anything yet. But yeah, my mom has this kind of uh, things to do overseas. So she still goes through the Zoom process and all that. So she hasn't traveled yet. But I mean, it's also a concern for those in sectors where they do need to travel to earn money. And um, yeah, that's where it causes the the debate whether it's people's lives or like other people's lives. Because I think I also have heard of cases of um, those working in the aviation sector having to like, downgrade from their mm. property and yeah it's just not good time overall but of course lives are very important except that um well it's it's gonna be tough for everybody because it's not really nice to be cooped up yeah. in your home mm. or in your country all all this time so i mean i i can't really take a stand on it yet yeah
0: mm. yeah so uh, i think singapore is lucky to only experience sort of a lockdown for only one time in the last two years, which was mm-hmm. circuit breaker. Which is seems like a very long time ago, but it's only like last year, which is a bit know. And mm-hmm. even that, that was 56 days.
1: Which and we almost,
2: almost went crazy.
0: I mean, at least I did. Yeah, I definitely yeah. was curious <laughs> about okay. that. Yeah. So so um Of course, people do call the measures of heightened alert and whatnot as a lockdown because it seems like that. And uh, most of you guys are students as well, right? So on the education sector, typically in Singapore, education is the last bastion that will go down in lockdown procedure. Mm -hmm. And I think that was only activated once in this whole year, which is somewhere at the end of May uh, leading up to June, right? For just two weeks. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, I don't know why they chose education really, but okay, never mind. That's not my point here. But yeah, I think me and Fatima had had the opportunity to uh, make this decision ourselves in a simulated context. And even in that simulated context, it was very difficult to make some sort of decision. So, we have something known as the 7-year COVID policy, which is our expected timeline of how long this pandemic will last. I know 7 years sounds a bit scary in a sense, uh, but time and time again I'm sad to report that I, I don't know how to feel. But basically yeah. our predictions for each and every year somehow comes true. In the first year uh, we reported uh, what we expected was that there would be a new variant somewhere in the mid or end of uh, uh twenty twenty that was going to spread quickly, and that came through in the form of Delta.
3: Mm-hmm. And
0: then twenty twenty-one we expected there to be easing of measures and freestone, the lockdown was eased, yes. Uh and but what we didn't expect there was that the new variant, Delta and Omicron, to be that much more infectious, that much more severe than the original uh, variant that was reported in Wuhan like two years ago. Yeah. So this seems like a trend. Somehow, whenever things are going well, the virus mutates and then we go back into that same vicious cycle over and over and over right. again. So, she leads us to think, endemicity. Hmm. Almost every country in the world has had a plan to move from zero-COVID policy to endemicity, with the notable exception of China and some other smaller countries around the world. But uh, as much as we want to move to endemicity, I think one thing should be considered is that you don't get everything you want to get in life. Sometimes uh, life just gives you whatever it wants to get and you have to deal with it. And endemicity, of course, one day it will come. But it depends on when that day is. Could be tomorrow, could be next year, could be seven, eight years from now. Who knows? So my next question is, is now the time to really think about moving to endemicity? I'll let Kim start first. Then,
2: yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah, I think that it's been two years uh, and this really the, the entire virus is taking a toll on everybody. Mm. And uh, whether it's too early to start considering, I think that it's just the correct time because mm. at the end of the day, all we want is for life to go back to normal, and the only way that the most government uh, officials see possible is to declare it endemic, mm. and. I feel that, yes, it's okay to declare it endemic because we can treat it like the normal flu so long as we find a proper vaccine that will um yeah have mm. 100% efficacy. But of course, that is impossible. So really, it's trying to urge everybody to take the vaccine first. And um yeah, this is a really a good enough approach because we if we're treating it like the common cold or like the common flu, then that will be, um, yeah, then that's really approaching that whole status of endemic. Mm. and I think that yeah it's a good time to start thinking about how we want to move forward since yeah it's been we've been dealing with it for two years already I mean you can also see other previous uh, pandemics and all that like the Black Death or um, yeah all those kind of uh, how history has Mm. how history has developed and I think that if we want to make a change in how we're going to deal with a change in the number of deaths then we really need to start considering other options like um yeah start continuing to make i guess vaccines for the specific variants yeah then basically we need to start to declare it yeah yeah
0: Fatima
1: Alright, so i think i'll start off with saying that i'm I think we all are very thankful to be, you know, in, a, in living in a country where despite, you know, complaints and, you know, just you know, every time we are disheartened by measures being increased or relaxed, you know, all that, everyone is still, you know, following rules, wearing masks and all that. Mm-hmm. very thankful for that.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, th- besides that, uh, endemicity, I, I do agree, you know, there needs to be a plan. I think if there's anything we've learned from the pandemic, it's to pre-plan everything. The mm. Murphy's Law is kind of very in my face right now. Anything can go wrong. And True. yeah, treating it like the common code, obviously it's too early, you know, with Omicron and whatever. But again, gradual opening, right? Gradually you can start. But, you know, there's the whole thing about um, other countries, right? It's not just your country. It's about other countries. Yeah. How they wish to mm-hmm. proceed, you know? And I think that's that's where international cooperation, all that, and I agree with her, you know, vaccinations are so important. I cannot believe we are still battling, we are still fighting that battle up to this point in the pandemic. But, you know, everyone is going to have a different um, outlook on whatever is happening. You know, we see WHO urging everybody to get vaccines, asking companies to... Uh, I think there was... I'm not sure where it was, but uh, WHO is also uh, asking... Asking, asking for uh, everyone to get uh, the third jabs. Mm. And then there's also, you know... The thing is, there's so many factors that come into play. Which really makes it very difficult to make choices right now. But I do say that... Um, endemicity is... At least, okay, for me, it's a feasible idea. I think it's viable, but not... Like Jalen said, you know, maybe seven years in the future... <laughs>
0: Yeah so uh, I will build on that uh, just a bit here. Uh, First uh, talking about vaccinations uh, in Singapore I think we are up about 80 high 80 percent worth of our population getting vaccinated and I think it's important to mention that the remaining 11 or 10 percent of our population most of them are Unvaccinated, not by choice, by because of their medical reasons and whatnot, right? Uh, we have introduced, uh, you know, uh, what we call the vaccinated differentiated uh, measures, which means, uh, basically, in layman's term, it's a crackdown on the un- unvaccinated, including stopping them from entering malls and eating in restaurants and stuff like that. Some may call it unconstitutional, some may see it as an amazing measure, but uh, that, that is not a debate for today. But basically, it, it's difficult to convince every single person to get vaccinated, but I think that is one of the criteria that needs to be met before uh, the actual full transition over to endemicity. And talking about on international scale, yes, we can have endemicity at the national level, which I think is quite feasible, sometime soon. But the way the world works will probably never be the same again, especially if in the international community, there are still countries that have a very low rate of vaccinations, which is why, uh, yes, we need to get people uh, boosted uh, with the third jab of the COVID vaccine to fight this uh, Omicron variant. But at the same time, countries and companies also need to donate more vaccines to poorer countries
3: Mm. for
0: countries like in Africa and all that to get their population as vaccinated as possible. Because even though it seems like, you know, what happens in Africa and what happens in Singapore is not interconnected. As a social studies teacher, I tell you, (laughs) because of globalization, the whole world is interconnected anyways. So whatever happens over there will affect us over here. Now, I think we can see that with the Omicron variant being identified in South Africa. Yeah, so yeah, it's important on that. And Kim talked about past pandemics and endemics, uh, as, what, what past pandemics and, and viruses. I think, uh, let's take a look at some past precedent that has happened in the last 100 years or so. Uh, we have, I think most people are comparing COVID to the flu or influenza and stuff like that. Influenza has been around for a very, very, very long time for now, uh, I think. So most people have uh, resistance towards the influenza, but we all get sick. And one thing that is important to compare the flu with COVID is the ability to mutate into many different strains, which is why in countries like America, People need to get boosters for their flu shots every single year because every year there is some kind of a new strain of influenza that needs to be, uh, that needs the population to be vaccinated against. Now, and on the other hand, we have viruses like SARS, which was uh, spreading uh, in 2003 2002, around that period. SARS hit Singapore quite badly as well. We see a lot of the measures that we have today as a result of planning since 2003. But the weird thing about SARS is that it's just died out afterwards, after some time. We didn't have any cure for it, we didn't have any vaccine for it, it just died out like that. And yeah, so influenza is kind of the model we have for COVID. SARS is just the outlier. I mean it's not outlier, it's it's just one of those viruses that did not have the potential to spread any longer. And we see viruses like Ebola and HIV. Ebola is something that was concerning in the late uh, 2010s when it was spreading around in Africa and all. everybody was freaking out. But Ebola today is not as much as a concern because of what the African countries have done to stop the spread of Ebola. HIV is still a pandemic and has been a pandemic for many, many, many decades. And that is the thing that people are most afraid of with COVID, that it will be a pandemic that will last decades. And the seven year plan, basically, we are hoping that the health concerns will uh, swatch sooner or later but the we know that the economic and social effects of COVID will last for a very long time. Yeah. So Fatima, you wanna bring us to the Omicron variant?
1: Yes, the star of the show. Alright, so first detected in South Africa on November 26, twenty one, when WHO reported reported their findings. It is now reported that Omicron was detected in Europe in October. So again, you know, these are very silent killers. WHO says Omicron poses a serious threat. However, restrictions must be rational. Omicron has been proven to be much more infectious than previous variants. However, it is too early to determine restrictions. Overprotective travel bans may hurt global cooperation. For example, South Africa, this proves that COVID-19 variants are inevitable. Okay, I'm going very fast. All right, so let's backtrack a bit. So again, you know, global cooperation. I know, we mentioned it a few times just now so we're all in this together and i think it's best not to hurt each other at the moment right Mm, so true suddenly just like stopping all travel from one specific country is not gonna do anyone any good right
3: yeah
1: so yeah so now we are the world's citizens not just our own (laughs) what's your
3: take on that jayden
0: Okay I think uh, first thing we would address is the South Africans talking about the blanket bans mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. travel from their country and the African countries. I think um, it is criticized because a lot of countries only ban travel from Africa and not the other countries. They are, If you look at it demographically they are more white, they are more rich and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Like for example, Europe is spreading badly in Europe. There's many cases in Europe and America, of course. But people don't seem to care that much about that side, but rather they all place restrictions at all one time on African countries, which I think is a bit counterintuitive if you think about it. Africans uh, as the first countries to identify the variant they would try Everything in their power to stop the spread within their countries, much more than uh, a lot of other European or American countries, where you know it's just only kind of surface measures while they're doing dealing with other crises in their country. Mm. And Omicron paid. For, they they said it will pose a serious threat, but how serious the threat is, we will probably not know until probably like next year, the start of next year.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, with that, right, you know, I think, you know, oh, I say you know a lot. Okay, so, you know, we've seen vaccines, beat vaccines, or suddenly having an um, uh, actual playbook for pandemics of this size. All this has been, has been fast-tracked throughout the past two years, right? So, we will have to wait and see, like you said, and this really proves that, COVID nineteen variants are inevitable, like I was trying to say earlier. But as much as we want to deal with it in a less restrictive manner, we can't. Can't. So we saw it with the Singapore and Malaysia borders, right? So now they don't want to just suddenly just stop everything because something new has popped up. Something new will always come up. So it's about how you're gonna how you're gonna from the very get go how you're gonna deal with it, right? I think that's yeah. the most important. The first steps that you take, and Omicron will obviously change public perception and that will cause governments to impose stricter regulations. Everyone has to be rational about this, right? Not mm. just our government. We have to understand as well. Mm. So we have seen Delta. We have we were given the opportunity to see what happens when a new variant spreads. We can learn a lot from it, and. And we are still learning, actually, from Delta, you know, that's not over, yeah. just because something new popped <laughs> up. So, yeah, I guess, you know, to everyone, it's, again, get vaccinated, stay calm, listen, because these people, these people being the government, they aren't doing things for fun, right? So, <laughs> I think it's very important, I think it's very important to, you know, stay united, you know, social responsibility mm. is something we should all practice. Yes, mm. and, again, Omicron will definitely, again, I, okay, if Bill Probably not be contained. It just like Delta, we have to be, um, we have to
0: brace ourselves. I think you know other areas yeah. may pop up. Uh, Kim, you get your opinion on this.
2: All right. I mean, well, yeah, definitely we have to brace ourselves. Like that's what you said, um, at the end, and that's like the one stand I definitely can agree on. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's really that. There's so much that's about to come, and we're really, like, moving through the Greek alphabet really fast. I mean, (laughs) I know that they skipped, like, two because of the similarity and, like, uh, just, like, of anybody. (sighs) But, like, we're all the way to O right now, so Omicron. Omicron Um, sounds like a transformer,
1: honestly.
2: Yeah, (laughs) definitely. (laughs) I I mean, gotta... Yeah, we gotta deal with it, like, the way we... Or rather, maybe... uh, we have to learn from what we have dealt with mm-hmm. with Delta. Definitely. Um, yeah, I do miss our eight person gatherings uh, already when that was still uh, like a viable option. Now we are back down to five. I think it's really a better improvement at two. But yeah, Omicron. Um, yeah, hopefully, we it's uh, I guess that more people are more careful with it, especially since uh, we have decided to really head towards yeah. the pandemic. Um, like you said, it had to be gradual, but um, whether the government wants, to, uh, whether it's like slower or faster, I think it's up to them. But either way, we all have that responsibility. Like uh, Jalen said, it's more about really caring about um, how it affects people around us as well as ourselves, but more for um, people who are more vulnerable to the disease, such as those who can't be vaccinated for medical reasons. So yeah, it's more to get vaccinated. Uh, yeah, key message of the entire thing, I guess.
0: Yeah, so I think like they mentioned, I think one of the more important things here, in this time is education. Not just for our young children, but also even for adults. Yeah, uh, okay. people need to be educated on on COVID nineteen, even the spread of a uh, virus. You know, all this. I think more and more children, because of the COVID nineteen, uh, spread have been interested in stuff like biology and microbiology, which I think is good. Uh, we need definitely need more uh, young people that are interested in such areas. So, because we know this pandemic is bad enough already, but mm. the next pandemic, which is coming very soon, will probably be much, much worse than what we experience here today. And we need to be prepared for that. And, uh, past president has told us that, you know, governments aren't very good at following what they planned out many years ago, so it, it really takes the people to come out and do what is right. We cannot just rely on what the government always says and all that. It's also your social responsibility and mine. Yeah, so I would just say right now, just take this very unknown law period in December enjoy as much as you can before next year because i don't know what's gonna happen next year it's probably gonna be bad but i just find the silver lining in everything right for Mm -hmm. me the silver lining is i don't need to attend any more functions and yeah i hate people so that's good for me i guess but uh, i think you know chinese new year next year they're still saying oh we can all get together again like no
3: like, thank no. god
0: <laughs> okay now we will... i know <laughs> i promised them one and a half hours today it's 39 <laughs> minutes so let's let's keep up the pace yeah okay let's go uh, we're going to start off with uh, singapore first all right singapore um quite a bit of things happen uh in the end of the or rather the last quarter of this year Uh, First, let's go through some laws that perhaps have been uh, key highlights in Parliament this year uh, which are the FICA, the repeal of Sedition Act, Copyright Act, Police Force Act and the Electronics Transactions Act Okay, how about the Sedition Act first? Now, uh, because I don't teach English, I'm just gonna Google the definition of sedition
1: yeah, uh, I'm doing the same thing
0: right now. <laughs> okay, sedition is basically something that, that is inciting sort of violence or protest against the authority of the state. at uh, To a more liberal society today that sounds very very bad, which is probably why they repealed it uh, somewhere in this year, the later half of this year. Sedition is a very old law uh, back when the British were around to prevent the local Singaporeans from protesting against the British and the monarchs of the British Empire at that time, I think one thing uh the government said is that sedition is a very useless uh kind of policy today because most of the policies have already been transferred into other acts, which is slightly concerning if you ask me but, uh. <laughs> Okay, sure, some of the things in the Sedition Act are very offensive for today. But again, it's the same debate here. If a law is not enforced, is it still the law? should you still follow it. Hmm. Yeah. But the Sedition Act is really the more mild one uh, that we did this year. Uh, I think the most major law that we have passed is the Foreign Countermeasures Act, or whatever it's called. Foreign Interference Countermeasures Act, yes. Yeah, I'm sure you guys know that act. It is basically the first act that we actually get to see proper debate between the two parties, uh, the PAP and the opposition parties. It took me 10 hours to watch the entire debate that lasted up to somewhere in the middle of the night and of course as everybody expected like it got passed like after that because of the majority that we have but um i think the fika act is many people have concerns about it which i think are warranted in that case since the you know it, it is promoted as an act that actually helps to protect uh, Singapore's national security from other countries' influence, especially uh, as you can see in America, for example, the influence on their elections by their enemies like Russia, Iran and all that are major, major issues. And that does happen to Singapore as well, but just in a very much smaller manner. So Fika uh, is that act that has been introduced for a very, very long time now, and it's finally been passed. But I think many people have uh, talked about uh, the sort of uh, unconstitutional issues that come with the Fika Act as well. Uh, for example, it was to some people like academics and uh, reporters are afraid that the Fika Act once again might quash whatever... Uh, dissent that is against the government right now mm. which should be bad for Singapore's democracy uh, like always. So let's get your opinions from it. Fatima, you want to start?
1: Right, so you know we've seen these two acts right I think a lot of it we talk about the gist is basically you know freedom of speech and then press mm. freedom and that's something that's been very controversial in our country and I would say that I, I do I mean these are all definitely very important things and you Mm. know we pride ourselves on social harmony you know religious and racial harmony and that is such an important thing in like a society in the 21st century i think that's one one of the most valuable things that we have as a society but then you have to talk about the other side and a lot
3: of Mm
1: -hmm. throughout the years there's been a lot of talk about you know if you know there is a lot of controversy around you know, the PP being the incumbent government, blah blah blah, you know, there's not yet yeah. opposition, blah, blah, blah. And I think that that's kind of where, you know, everyone's kind of very pressed right now because like they of of course there needs to be productive and you know, dialogue against anyone. You know, if there's an mm. idea, it should be challenged so it's it's made mm-hmm. better. Right. So, um, yeah. And also, you know, all these um come after we see uh things that happen on the international stage right so right. foreign counter inter- interference you know we saw it with, with the united states elections in 2020 is it 2020 yeah mm. i believe so so yeah there is a lot we can learn but i do agree you know there needs it needs to be a more thorough I don't know how more, much more thorough this can be, but this process can be, but uh, there should be more open dialogue about this. You know, right, from right. Various sectors like the press, that's such an important thing, right? Press, yes. academia, you know, yeah. Okay. And uh, I... Uh, yeah. Oh, okay.
0: uh, you can... Sp- let, let her speak first. Yeah. Uh, oh,
2: okay. Uh, Fika, yeah, um, I mean, I think it's more like what they declare as, like, going against law and what is, like, abiding by it because um mm. yeah it's really up to i mean the person who's enforcing the law to see whether it's uh right or wrong and i think that right or wrong is so black and white and sometimes there are things that are just uh, not the whitest white not the blackest black
0: mm, so it's very really difficult
2: to tell and uh yeah i mean this policy um whether it's good or not i think uh i i guess i need to like really see how it's taken place um yeah, not just as a discussion, but more of like how it has uh, gone for other Singaporeans affected by like, it to really make right. a judgment call.
0: I think on, on this issue, and along with, with I think the Police Force Amendments Act, which gives much more power to the police, uh, there are two very major uh, concentrations of people's opinions on the two major sites, which is the government and and all their supporters on one side, which support the entire premise of the law itself. Mm -hmm. And on the other side, you have dissenters, people like Amnesty, Human Rights Watch and all that, talking about the major implications on uh, this new law on Mm -hmm. human rights, on uh, international law and whatnot. So uh, with every law, literally, that most countries past that always see this concentration of uh, opinions on this scale Uh, so just to make it clear i don't support any side i refuse to support any side so i'm just going to uh, basically go through both sides points on on uh, why this law should or should not be passed in the first place now according to a lot of uh, human rights organizations and dissenters the law itself has very ambiguous provisions and as we all know if the law is ambiguous it gives the power uh, it gives the person in power a lot a lot lot more power mm-hmm. so in this case it's the Minister for Home Affairs right so what exactly like Kim said what exactly is foreign interference Does a does a Singaporean academic residing in an overseas country, talking about Singapore policies, considered foreign interference or not? Who knows? And in the end, the people that are deciding what foreign interference is, is a department under the Ministry of Home Affairs, Mm -hmm. which is a bit concerning, given that the Minister for Home Affairs is the one deciding everything in the end. And in fact, the penalties For this foreign interference is very 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 severe as we have in Singapore so this severe penalties brings about a a sphere of fear in in academia especially if you don't say the right things you will never have the right to say anything ever again sort of that idea so if I could just interject quickly yeah I definitely agree you
3: know
1: because like ambiguity and you know if a law leaves space for interpretation when a law becomes subjective right like you said you know it's up to the person in power to decide or does this actually you know does this is this in line with what we have been trying to enforce and things like that you know it it becomes a, a de- is it democratic issue? maybe not democratic but it definitely becomes an area of concern mm.
3: yeah
0: and I think this is the same thing that happened. I don't. I think you guys remember a few years ago on POFMA, protection mm-hmm. of falsehoods mm-hmm. and manipulation. Act. SS students,
1: this is a <laughs> dream question for all our SS teachers.
0: Yeah, it's true, <laughs> but uh, I think POFMA, POFMA is one of those acts that is. It's similar to Fika in the sense that the entire premise of the law is important. We don't want people to get misled by falsehoods and. Uh, manipulative uh, comments and all that
3: Mm
0: -hmm. but at the same time if you're asking the person in power to decide what is sort of fake and whatnot sometimes they may use it to benefit themselves and their government or whatever which is the main concern with the law here because uh if we see what the pofma has done of course it has addressed falsehoods i think Currently, the administration, the law, is still verging on the good side, I guess. The fact that it does go against the falsehoods, technically, or manipulative ideas. But, most of the time, you do see it uh, affecting mostly people like in the opposition parties. Uh, I'm not sure if you heard uh, Goh Meng saying uh, people like that. Uh, and organizations like New Narrative, The Independent, Singapore, and all that kind of stuff, which are famous, in a way, for dissenting against the government, in that mm-hmm. sense. And Singapore is famous for very serious and sweeping acts, for example, the Public Order Act, which prohibits public protests, even holding up a sign outside MOE is protesting, and you can get arrested for it, as you have seen before. Yeah. So, the idea here is that we need these laws, but to what extent? And to what extent should we listen to the comments of the uh, human rights activists in weight way according to the greater good for Singapore itself? Which I think is an important conversation that we should always have every time we try to pass this kind of laws. And that is the important thing with the opposition parties, right? Even though we only have ten, or rather nine now, plus the two NCMPs, opposition uh, to anything that the PAP government is important to keep them in check. Mm -hmm. And just like Mr. James Lim once said, we cannot let them have a blank check. If not, uh, Singapore's democracy will go down the drain, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, which brings us to the next part of this debate here. Uh, I'm sure you all heard about the controversy with the Workers' Party which is Singapore's main opposition party in Parliament.
3: Mm.
0: Now, uh, just some context here that uh, Ms Raisa Khan uh, admitted to lying uh, to Parliament, uh, which is quite a serious allegation, in fact. Uh, And right now, it's being investigated by the Committee of Privileges. Now, uh, for those that aren't clear what that means, privileges are something that the MP is awarded once they become an MP, that they are free from... Uh, prosecution for their ideas stated in Parliament. Now, this privilege can be suspended by the Committee of Privileges if a person has been found to be lying to Parliament, which in this case seems to be what she admits. And so, uh, the idea here now is A. Who is responsible? Is the Workers' Party leadership involved in the entire saga here? And B, what does this mean for Singapore's opposition parties in government? Uh, I'll let Kim start first.
2: Okay. Um, actually, this is like the one thing that I did kind of like um, have paid a lot more attention to. Hmm. And I mean, I, I would say I started off like being supportive of Raisa because she's really young. And yeah, uh, yeah she's from opposition. So it's good to hear her voice and just hear any opposing views to PAP in general but I mean after this it's really difficult to trust the Workers' Party in general mm. um, not just Raisa kind of course so that's she, she fell out of line in parliament and that's already the biggest issue that um, surrounds this whole thing but I think the bigger thing is that she also let the leaders of Workers' Party into it so there are accusations that Pritam Singh and uh, Sylvia they, they told her to continue lying and I think mm. um in some way, she, Raisa Khan herself, she may have banded the truth to uh, her liking. Basically, I don't think that Pritam Singh and Sylvia told her exactly to continue lying. But right. probably something that is her own interpretation I- interpretation issue. And overall, I, I guess it's not really good to have a big stand on it yet. Because, mm. um, yeah, I think Raisa Khan, she's definitely facing a lot of um. Her online hatred and all that especially since right. um she's already deemed a social justice warrior so oh. this has definitely um it has given her i think more of like a weight, or rather like there's more avenues for people to hit on her now that um mm. this has also been um shown and i guess in general i think the trustworthiness worthiness of uh, workers party right now it's really up to debate And I think that we just need to see how it continues to go. But um, in all, uh, I just really hope that um, Workers' Party or it's more of an interpretation issue. And I just hope that uh, Raisa Kanchi herself can learn from this since um, I think she resigned from Workers' Party. And it's it's a very big thing already. So I just hope that she can take whatever experience um, and whatever she learned from this. And more, and more important, most importantly, actually, that she actually does learn from this, and right. that uh, yeah, in any future career path that she chooses, um, hopefully right. it'll be good for her to really apply what she's learned.
0: Right. So I think uh, I forgot to add a bit of context for international viewers here, because <laughs> uh, in some countries, <laughs> America, uh, it is yeah. common for representatives to lie in front of uh, the government or whatever congress or parliament that they have in Singapore why this is being made such a big issue is a because of the limited opposition members that we have in parliament and b because this type of things rarely happen in Singapore right we are fortunate enough to have many representatives who are truthful to, to whatever they are presenting in front of parliament and all that. And I think it's important, as we have covered before, that representatives are honest. And I think that's one thing Singapore does pride itself on. Uh, last time the COP was convened for an MP was many, many, many decades ago. So I think what we're talking about here with Raisa Khan is raised quite a number of issues, not only on opposition party itself but also on our media coverage on the issue as well
3: Mm -hmm.
0: you see uh, organizations like mothership Straits Times, cna have been criticized for a very one-sided approach to publishing such news articles on the issue at hand here uh, which raises concern because you know these organizations although they are not directly or rather they're not Uh, in a majority share by the government here but they are still to a certain degree state-controlled media if if you think about it right and on the other hand we have organisations that are on social media like you know Wake Up Singapore New Narrative and The Independent who report it in their own way of a one-party light which is a very 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 large support for the Workers' Party which to an extent discredits the inve- investigation into Raisa Khan at this point mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. and many PAP supporters including uh, some of the people I know uh, do make the I would say a fair comparison that if this were to happen to say uh, MP from PAP the controversy there will be much larger and a lot of these uh, people that are more liberal will go out straight and attack the entire party in its entirety and then Mm -hmm. of course you have the entire debate of should they be in parliament should they be in the government why not why is the pvp in government stuff like that Mm -hmm. so you see here i think it's important that we judge it not just as a uh, not just as a political issue it should also just be about the Person's or raises moral character at hand here because the more we delve into the political side of things, the more party politics will come into play. And we don't want party politics, even the last time we had party politics, say, uh, in when they were arguing about you know former prime ministers Lee Kuan Yew's estate and Oxy Road. That was not even just party politics anymore. That went into family politics, (laughs) which is one step (laughs) lower. So I think it's important for everybody, including state media, including independent media and all Singaporeans, to be fair towards the investigation and not to make direct assumptions and not just to only see one side of the story. All Mm -hmm. sides, all parties should be heard in order for this to be a proper, fair trial. And we can make this an exemplar for future presidents, for future things that may happen in in this long road to a more uh, democratic Singapore, if you would.
1: Fatima? Yeah. Right, so very quickly, I think I agree, you know, because one thing, we talk about party politics, right? The moment you are in government, you are one government, right? I don't mm.
3: think...
1: But that being said, I agree, you know, it should be seen as a member of parliament, someone who represents an entire constituency and is standing in place of the people. That's one issue. Then you, again, you branch out, now you look at a little bit outside, right? The WP has just, you know, gained the momentum when you're talking about public support and, you know, with more of the youth coming in and chiming in with their ideas, they became a lot more popular in the recent elections,
3: mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And this
1: definitely has step, um pushed them a step back which is not good, right? Yeah. Regardless of who you support, everyone. I think the party has done great, right? And they have mm. some great ideas. I think it's they will continue to do so. So, yeah, it, it is. It is. It, it it the issue itself is already very severe, right? Lying in yeah. in parliament. I mean, that's just mm-hmm. yeah. that's very honestly. But like, anyways. So, (laughs) to to have done that, obviously, there will be repercussions. And again, we do have to wait for more findings to come out. You know, Mm. I I think we have said this once. You cannot be judged during execution at once. Yes. So, we'll let it play out as it will. But, like you said, you know, from the media side, from the public side, we're very fast to judge. Again, it cannot Mm. be party politics. It's about a representative democracy, who we want representing us. Mm. Yeah, that's kind of, yeah.
0: Yeah, And of course, we all hope that you know the Committee of Privileges will be fair to everybody and listen mm-hmm. to all the opinions presented before them, including workers' parties' leadership, uh, evidence provided by them in order to make a fair decision. Mm-hmm. Of course, um, many people don't see this as a trial, and of course it, it does not look like a trial. The truth is, Parliament can punish the speaker. The speaker, Parliament can publish and uh, punish an MP for such an accusation, and uh, of course, the final punishment will be decided by a judge somewhere in the court system of Singapore. But the point is, all of the people that are presenting evidence before COP will be sworn into uh, an oath, which means they cannot lie in front of the COP yeah Mm -hmm. so I think let's see how the investigation pans out and we can deliberate more sooner or later depending on how it goes yeah okay so that is Singapore I think we don't have much time so we're (laughs) going to move on straight away okay so to our neighbor over here Malaysia um, what have you heard about Malaysia this year? I think uh, we have, you know, the COVID policies, I think they have MCO for quite a while, and it was finally lifted a few months ago, and I think the more key issue that we can talk about is how the Malaysian government essentially collapsed on itself within quite a short amount of time. Uh, Within the... I think the last year or so we had three Malaysian prime ministers, right? Wow. Uh, which was Mahathir first, right? Yeah. Followed by, uh, who is he? Yasin. Uh, uh, oh, and now we have the new guy, which is.
1: Uh... Is it Anwar Johari?
0: Or is that... it. see, I can't keep up at this point. Either, <laughs> so... <laughs> who is he? Wait. Hold on, <laughs> guys.
1: This is in person.
0: Ares. Uh, yakov Ibrahim yakov uh, right, say. right. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, but yeah. So it's been one year, three PMs, and a whole bunch of party politics. Uh, I think, you know, uh, this all started when a few years back when uh, Najib was in power still, which okay. is seems like a very long time ago. Yeah. It's definitely. That. Yeah, so uh, after that, I think uh, the general elections happened. They elected Mahathir to be the prime minister uh, again.
3: again.
0: <laughs> uh, just saying, uh, people in Singapore are not very happy with Mahathir at all. He's known to be <laughs> sort of a bully to to Singapore, but I won't comment on that anymore since he's <laughs> not here anymore. Just the
1: just the FYI, <laughs> guys.
0: Yeah, so uh, yeah, but after that, Mahathir resigned this year, I think, and uh, the king appointed Mohidin Yasin to take over as prime minister after a very very long struggle in parliament, right? Uh, I think the thing that you need to know about Malaysia here is that unlike Singapore, they have a lot of parties, and they have a lot of representatives in the the one rakyat which is their parliament, lah, huh? mm. so Muhidin is something that uh, people... Mm. Oh, the background noise is crazy. <laughs> mm. So I think Muhiddin was not elected, which is the main problem with his uh, reign as the Prime Minister there. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, you go from somebody who is supported very widely in Malaysia, which is Mahathir, to someone who is not even elected by the people of Malaysia is Muhidin. for a party that was once uh, Najibs I think yeah so then and there we started the entire problem here with the party politics in Malaysia just when the Covid pandemic was getting worse and worse and worse in Malaysia which meant that the debates in parliament could not proceed as normal and the Covid pandemic gets worse and worse and worse. And yeah, so that is exactly what we saw uh, a few months ago in Malaysia. People are, were dying on a constant basis. Hospitals were underfunded, not enough resources and all that. And we are just here in Singapore looking at it, trying to help them, but you can't really do much, I think. Yeah, So again, this brings out the issue like we mentioned just now, party politics. Now Fatima, anything to comment on the Malaysian issue here?
1: I think, you know, it's, you, again, this really highlighted the importance of having a good system and having a good, having good people in in parliament, Mm. it's not just parties, having good people in parliament, because in time of a crisis like that, you need everybody to not agree, not just agree with each other, but, you know, be rational enough to put out a plan, right, because the Mm. government is there for the people, they're not there for anything else. And right. again, you know, for us, you know, we we're just sitting back and we're just watching it all go down. Uh, while it was, you know, a topic for us to like, oh wow, okay, that's surprising. But like for the people in Malaysia, you know, I cannot imagine the mm. turmoil and you know the uncertainty, right? Because in seeing all that on TV about your government being doing what is, I don't know how to put this in a nice <laughs> way. What you see on happening in government while you are still you know stuck at home for how many months right mm. the MCO and not being able to pass from one place to another and it was it must have been so terrifying and again yeah. it's it, it really comes back to the pandemic honestly if I'm being honest
3: right now so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah so yeah so basically uh, it's kind of difficult for people in Singapore to imagine that kind of uh, uh, problems because Mm-hmm. It's been 53 years we have the same government. So, yeah, a bit difficult to imagine. Kim, your ideas?
2: Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it's really tough. Because at least with us, we can actually see what parliament uh, discusses like on like, YouTube. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's how you watch it. Mm. And like, we also know that the whole system is like kind of fixed already. Because we know that there's definitely going to be the BAP side and the opposition side. So that's good for us, yeah. Andrea. Yeah, Malaysia, I mean, <laughs> having three different premises in a year, it's going to be, like, so weird having to yeah. keep adapting and, like, mm. seeing how it goes down. Like, I mean, at least, if, if it were that way, I really don't know how I would trust the government. But, of course, um, uh-huh. yeah, it's just it's just the way that things are. And, of course, it must be definitely really tough on the Malaysians earlier.
0: Yeah, so, yeah, basically, I think... You know uh, just like what Lee Hsien-Long said sometimes the Covid policy works only because people trust the government and in Singapore not everybody is supportive of the government I think that's important to say first and foremost and they're not trying to force anyone to support them but I think at the end of the day we all realize that what they're doing is in their way what is best for the country so we just even those that don't fully support the government in singapore we just press on and follow for the good of everybody that's around us right and i think that's important to have in parliament especially in malaysia when there are so many parties you need to find a consensus that you're fully working towards uh, establishing malaysia as a as a state where people can trust the government, regardless of who is in power or not, and and a place where you know actual constructive things can happen, I'm not sure if you've seen videos of uh, debates they have in Malaysia. Yeah. Uh, sometimes people use words that I cannot say here, I'm gonna get demonetized. <laughs> but yeah, so essentially, uh, there is a clear difference there. I think one of the main. Uh, concerning ideas here especially for my family in Malaysia is that they have something known as the Bumi Putera policies which some of you may have learned in your secondary school history lessons it's essentially policies that are aimed towards you know supporting the Muslims and Malays in Malaysia Uh, since I mean it's in the name right so yeah that is a bit concerning because right now is it really the best time to put this kind of policy when you have to have the entire country rally together to stop a pandemic
3: mm-hmm. yeah
0: so it's concerning especially for you know the the other minority races in malaysia chinese the indians and orang Laut and all stuff like that yeah well again we are not experts on malaysian politics yeah so i recommend you to do your own research yeah
3: definitely
0: think about it yourself or just don't or or, or just don't think (laughs) about it okay moving on uh further up in southeast asia we have myanmar Mm. oh uh, i think in june we already talked quite a bit about myanmar so just give a little update on what's happening over in myanmar fatima you want to say
1: right so myanmar i think the most it's Right now it's the 7th of December, so the most recent news is the leader before the Junsa government took over, uh, Aung San Suu Kyi, I'm not sure yeah. if I'm saying it right, but yeah. So she was sentenced to four years in prison, I believe, and mm. those charges have now been halved huh. to yeah. two years. So that, and you know, of course, we heard from the United Nations that along with the Junta government, I think the Taliban, is that right? They have been hmm. barred from... I mean, <laughs> it's, I mean, I think that was like... I don't know why they thought they could actually go into the United Nations like that. But anyway, so that's something to note. They're not allowed in the UN. Yeah, that's not
0: about <laughs> it, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. But I think uh, one of the more recent pieces of news as well is I think the military... Uh, either intentionally or not intentionally killed five protesters by ramming a car into uh, anti-military yeah, yeah. protests there. Which is concerning, of course. like When you have something like that happen, you start to worry for the people of Myanmar even more, mm-hmm. they have had only around 10 years' worth of democracy before the military came back and took power again at the start of this year. And it's quite sad to see they were on such a great route to success as a country. Their economy was doing quite well, uh, of course, before COVID, right? And the people were happy. But now, after like almost a f- one full year of military rule, things have started to go downhill again. The pandemic, of course, uh, is a concerning factor as well and we still have a crisis over in the uh, kin- uh, the northern states, uh, especially with the Rohingya people, and the n- not-so-friendly relationship they have with the Myanmar military, who is in power yes. now. So I think it's uh, just a little update there for Myanmar. Uh, of course, we, we are still trying to find a diplomatic solution to the issue at hand, but I think... As history has shown time and time again, sometimes it really takes definite, strict action, physical action against uh, such a government in order to actually make some changes. It's quite sad to see, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's about it for Myanmar. How about you bring us over to India? Hmm. Okay. So a few.
1: We'll just go by bullet points because we are already at 1 hour 30. I hope you guys like <laughs> okay. Alright, so um, Farming Law riots. Okay, let's actually talk about that. Give me mm. a hot second. Don't we all love um, instant... What is this? Research.
0: Yeah. There's, then... really, there's really a lot of things that is going on. You can't really actually remember a lot of it. But yeah. I think from the top of my head, something to do with farming laws
1: yeah right so sorry very hot minute farming law right all right so um okay so 2020 and 2021 Indian farmers protest has been ongoing against three farm acts I believe that were yeah. passed by the parliament of India in September of 2020 so, it has been described as anti farmer laws by farmer unions. You know, we've you have, we have seen um, protests, riots that have gone wrong. Um, as, lo- as far as those go, we're talking about casualties and losses. Three BJP, which is, I believe, the ruling party mm-hmm. members were killed. One BJP driver. Wow. Over 300 policemen injured. Now, let's go on to um, civilians. 537 fatalities as of the day. As of July 10, 2021, um, claimed about 750 lives by October and November, hundreds more injured. And so you can really see how big of an issue this is in uh, India. Of course, you know, because agriculture is such a huge part of their economy and, like, you know, the culture there. And one journalist has been killed, one person lynched for alleged desecration, you know, infrastructure damage. Like, let's not even go into that. So mm. are, this is a very it has gone up up till, you know the Supreme Court of india uh in january in 2021 and former leaders so we'll talk a little about that uh, former leaders welcomed state order which remained in a, which remains in effect to today mm. the supreme court appointed committee uh has submitted its confidential report before the court six state governments uh namely Kerala Punjab, I, sorry, I'm Sorry, mm. I'm very bad with names. Uh, Rajasthan, Delhi, West Bengal, and one more um, state. So, yeah. as we move down a little bit more, 19 November 2021, union government decided to repeal the bills, and both houses of parliament passed the Farm Laws Repeal Bill bill in mm. 2021 on 29th of November. Following the announcement of the repeal of farm laws, farmer unions continued with the demand for a guaranteed minimum support prices. Reminding the government of the aim of doubling farmers' income by 2022, and the 2004 MS Swaminathan headed National Commission on Farmers report. So, I think you can go a lot more in depth with this if you can go and search on yourself because it is a lot, you know. And this is yeah. has been a very hot issue, which is not the only controversy India has embroiled itself in. So, yeah, what are your what are your thoughts? On
0: yeah, uh, no okay. I think uh, what well, Fatima said is easily found online. So I'll just summarize just a little bit here. Essentially, the whole idea here is is the problem with the farmers in India's bargaining power for uh the amount of money they can earn by selling their crops. India being uh, largely uh, qu- what, what, there is a huge block of agricultural farming that is going on nice. in India and so because of the new laws instead of being able to sell their uh, crops in, in a state controlled market uh, what actually happens now is under this law is that the farmers sell directly to i think companies i'm uh, mm-hmm. not sure completely about that but they sell to the companies and they promise not to basically scam the farmers lah, but you know promises probably won't be kept you know Nobody really trusts promises, especially one that is not in law, mm-hmm. and this agreement of a promise that is not actually inside the law that has been passed, which is why the farmers are very angry with the Prime Minister uh, and his government, which gave rise to the three-year-long protests uh, on, against these farming laws. And the whole idea is you make these farmers even poorer. if. Mm-hmm the bargaining power for them drops uh, tremendously. yeah. So I think, like, like you said, it is not just the only controversy that they have got themselves into, but I think it's something that is worth uh, analyzing on a greater detail, but we can't obviously do that right now. Mm-hmm. So Kim, your opinions?
2: I mean, it's just, um, yeah, I mean, the protests, well, uh, I guess I can see why the protests came and... Um, I mean, I'm not saying that I don't agree with it or anything. It's just, yeah, finally, it's good that the government is doing all this. And, like, um, yeah, finally, the people, they themselves want against the government that, um, obviously, it's not really treating them fairly. Mm. However, like you said, it's not really put in law or something like that. So, yeah, there's just so much you can trust about a government because the government is still made of people and people are flawed. So, I guess, uh, yeah, let's just take the win for now, I guess. Very yeah.
3: briefly, you know,
1: just to continue on, on what she said, you know, again, in time of a pandemic, you know, mm. um, having bills like that, that are hurting the people even more, it just, you know, to us from the outside looking, it just doesn't make sense, right? So that, that, I guess, has been echoed in other countries as well, you know, from right, yeah. Australia to the UK to um, even organisations like the United Nations. So mm. it's definitely
3: i
0: would say it's an ongoing fight yeah so like i said this this okay you can see the similarities that we have discussed in the last three countries uh, not the last four countries what happens when the people don't trust the government and i think like i think so, uh, both of you mentioned beforehand that acceptable uh, fight against the government is necessary in any democratic system especially when a law is perceived to be very uh a law is powerful and also it may affect a large amount of people inside that country which is why uh, education on this type of issues is important here because if you don't know what is going on there's no way you can fight for your own rights as well yeah so, India, although uh, many of us here in Singapore and surely around the world, not very familiar with the issue here, but the main idea is that you know that governments should listen to their people more. In fact, yeah, because um, Prime Minister Modi's government did not exactly listen to the pleas mm-hmm. of their citizens, it led to three-year-long protests with some people uh, injured and some even dying in the end so yeah make of that what you will okay
3: mm.
0: talking about failed governments uh afghanistan
1: <laughs> okay yes let's go and let's move on to afghanistan
0: now uh if you didn't know already i'm sure all of you do uh afghanistan has went through a political change uh, to say the very least i think that's a very large understatement there mm-hmm. um so the afghan government or the islamic republic of afghanistan's government was kicked out uh, by the taliban government and you remember that the us uh, because of what the us did uh, in august i think they started pulling out from afghanistan uh, their troops that have been there for almost 20 years in america's longest war ever right so which led to Taliban coming back to power after I think um, almost 20 yeah exactly okay. 20 years, 20 years okay. since uh, the last Taliban rule. And of course, uh, just like Myanmar, suddenly you have that short period of you know increased prosperity and peace. I mean for Afghanistan it's not that peaceful, but you know at least it's still some sort of a f- democratic freedom. That they have within that short amount of time but because the u.s decided to pull out now the taliban is back so uh the whole idea of pulling out of afghanistan actually started with trump's administration uh, a few years back with the uh, negotiation to the taliban in i believe doha qatar Mm -hmm. right so U.S. pulled out and then the Taliban just took over very quickly because they were already controlling 80% of the country uh, when the U.S. pulled out. So we expected it to fall to the Taliban. But both uh, Biden and the international community, what they didn't realize was how fast they could do it. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: right? So it just took them less than two, three weeks to take over the entire country and capture Kabul. And, and this is seen as one of the mega failures for the Western world, right? You see US troops and diplomats desperately evacuating from Kabul while uh, the Afghan citizens were climbing over the walls of the airport and clinging on to the aircraft for their life, even though most of them eventually uh, fortunately died la, because they fell off the aircraft and i think that that was a very heart wrenching scene to see right and of course since the taliban took over many civil liberties have been suspended especially for women's rights uh women women were temporarily suspended from going to school uh of course uh traditional islamic law was implemented uh, quite a bit okay, and um, sorry yeah, yeah,
1: <laughs> I think it's worth noting, I mean, definitely has to be said that, you know, these are Islamic radical ideologies, yep, right? So, that's right. You know, this is an interpretation of Sharia law that I've never <laughs> heard from, from anybody who is actually, you know, who actually learns this stuff. But it's scary to see, I do agree, you know, it is a humanitarian tragedy. You know, after 20 years women who yeah. have built up so much, you know, their degrees, people are hiding degrees, mm. destroying degrees, and that that's so scary, and you know how the Taliban did say, oh, we're gonna protect women's rights, <laughs> but like, you know, I don't think anyone is gonna take a terrorist organization's word for it, which is essentially what they're trying <laughs> to do, you know, trying to legitimize themselves as a government is something mm. that I, I will never understand.
3: Yeah, it's pretty true.
1: scary that's stuff, true. it's pretty scary stuff, but, on the United States front, right? it's funny how, I guess to me, you know when you look at the broader scale of things, suddenly the Republicans are on one side, you know they are blaming Biden for this, right? So it becomes uh-huh. ammunition for them. It's <laughs> you know, from you know American exceptionalism, the concept of American exceptionalism, for those who don't know, it's kind of like they think it, like it's their it's their duty to help everyone, blah blah blah, which mm. is I guess where. 20-year war that they decided to start, you know? And 13 service members were killed in the blast that happened near the Kabul airport, right? right? And that was, that was so, so many lives have been lost, not just the 13, but hundreds of Mm. service members, hundreds of civilians. And these are all, when you really take a step back and, you know, it's not, it didn't start from the takeover. It started from when they decided to land in Afghanistan, right?
3: Yeah, I think right. it was
1: when they captured bin Laden, right? I think under uh, the guys, I believe so, I think so, right? I,
3: I, yeah. Yeah.
0: Because, you see, um, okay, uh, with regards to the start of the invasion of uh, Afghanistan in 2001, that's something that all three of us uh, possibly would not understand, because 9-11 happened, of course, uh, during that time. Uh, all three of us were not born yet. That tells you a lot about our age. But yeah. So the type of emotion that was running through all Americans' minds at that time, regardless mm-hmm. Republicans, Democrats, Independents, whatever, was that we need revenge against the people that did this to us and the thousands of people that were killed on that day and after that day itself. And they started a war in the Middle East that is still reaping terrible effects today.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And, yeah. So, uh, before I move on to the actual debate question for this side, uh, Kim, do you have any first-hand ex- uh, thoughts about this?
2: Actually, not really. I mean, of course, like, want I move on to the b- debate, I think I do have some opinions because, uh, yeah, I'm not so sure about the whole okay. uh, decision, uh.
0: Yeah. Okay, so the uh, main idea here is that maybe it's the fault of the Democrats, maybe it's not, maybe it's the Republicans, who knows. But the main idea is, was the US right to pull out of Afghanistan after 20 years and so quickly without any further thought onto, onto the many, many effects that will have on Afghanistan for the decades to come? I guess any one of you can start
3: okay
1: so if i very quickly yeah mm. so on i think this was a, one of the huge, biggest failures of the biden administration and it will be echoed through by the thousands of afghanistan citizens who are now essentially refugees in other countries right mm. and and again we bring back that whole concept from our endemicity you know gradually you know, suddenly pulling, you establish yourself in a country and your people, your service members and your military became sort of the help that maintained order, right? And Mm. we're still combating, you know, uh, terrorist organizations within the country and suddenly you're pulling everybody. Where is that, you know, kind of, you can't stay in a country for 20 years and then suddenly not care about the people enough to ensure that everyone is kept safe while you try to take your people out, you know?
2: Yeah, it's mm. a loyalty thing, there.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's not just loyalty, yeah, it's loyalty, yeah, but, like, come on, it's, <laughs> this, it's decency also, you know? Come on, come on. You know, it, it's not possible, and the fact that our, their government, the United States government is using it as ammo to mm. get, in, get into, further into their whole party politics on whether she should be this issue should be that people have died. Right. People have lost their families, their livelihoods. You they are the reason why it's happened, you know? Mm. And I think it's 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 such it's a stain, it will remain a stain on the entire United States government, you know? Yeah, yeah that's just my hot take on that. <laughs>
2: okay. Mm, yeah, I mean, you, you said all I had to say. It's really how quickly they did it, which really is what hurt the most because they really didn't have much second thought for it. And I mean, if they actually had more further revaluation, of course, I think if they actually had proper reasons other than just um, yeah what they gave, I think that I can side with it. But right now, it's really very difficult to side with them and I just can't because yeah. of how many times lost. was.
0: And and I think, if if you look at historical context, right, uh, America is responsible for quite a lot of problems that have been seen in the Middle East, right, uh, from entering and invading countries uh, like Iraq, uh, like Libya, stuff like that, and then so quickly pulling out of those countries without any further thought. I think that not only causes instability but also creates vacuums of power for terrorism to take control of the region and of course um, that kind of threat in the middle east will exponentially cause the terrorism threat across the world to rise Mm -hmm. right and the us is still in a lot of countries in the middle east and around the world and at any time if they just pull out so quickly again Imagine the repercussions for those millions of people stuck in those countries without a say in that issue. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it's been 20 years, but you started this war in Afghanistan. Have and have the then,
1: responsibility. Right? Yeah,
0: exactly. You have the responsibility to everybody, not just everybody in Afghanistan, but around the world. Mm-hmm. This single event here has a lot of. Oh my God, hold on. Has a lot of uh, repercussions for the rest of the world as well. So, consider, I think next time people should consider uh, how fast they pull out. Wait. <laughs> okay, let's just move <laughs> Whoa, on. <laughs>
3: uh,
0: yeah. mm. Okay, so uh, in the interest of time, I'm going to skip a few things here and there. Uh, because there's way too much things that have been happening this year.
1: Yeah, I mean, okay, yeah, just on that, right? In light of the pandemic, I think all of our focus has been on this and probably issues that you have seen on social media. So there are a lot of things that happen, you know, you will be surprised at the amount of wars. The list that you see in our show notes is like a very condensed version. There are a lot more that we decided to omit. So do
3: go and check that out though.
0: Just saying, uh, a lot of, a lot of this content is what we cover in university for semesters and semesters. Mm. And we have condensed it into three hours, which is very long, but I think it's quite amazing. Uh. Still a miracle,
1: still a miracle.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, I think we can shift our attention over to climate change, the mm. crisis that is going to affect everybody on earth, regardless of where you are in the world. All right, so uh, in Europe this year, we had a very important conference called the Conference of Party 26, uh, COP26, as many of you would know, in which uh, delegations from all over the world come to Glasgow, Scotland, uh, to discuss the contributions to climate change that everybody promised, again, our keyword promised, uh, in the Paris Climate Conference in 2015. And it's been five years, surprisingly. It seems like just a few weeks ago that this happened. But yeah, anyways. So, uh, they finally agreed to a document that is now called the Glasgow Climate Pact. And I think some of you that have been following the developments there, uh, I think there are certain clauses on deforestation that have been agreed to by some countries to reduce deforestation by 2030. I think Singapore did sign that uh, agreement as well, but it's difficult la, for Singapore to, to do such a thing. And and the idea is, what considers, what actually is a forest in Singapore? Uh, Dover Forest is a forest, I guess, but they decide to cut it down also. Uh, Clementi Forest, you have the nature reserves and whatnot. Uh, that is an issue for social studies students, but uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, so with regards to climate change, sometimes people think that international diplomacy is not enough to stop this climate change issue, which is what led to a lot of youths like Greta Thunberg and uh, organizations like Amnesty to step forth and take a very different approach to address climate change. Uh. Approaches such as protesting on the streets in front of uh, government uh, buildings and stuff like that. So, first debate point here today is international dialogue effective an effective method to settle the climate change issue. Uh, Kim, you want to start first?
2: Okay, I can start. I I would say that having these kind of international agreements and just coming to a conference is good enough, so that they can all get on the same page and right have a refresher of what their whole purpose um for because I think in twenty fifteen they already had that whole uh, conference on wanting to cut down on carbon emissions or something like that. And then this year they have to renew it and really review how the world is, like what kind of shape, um mm. and how much further we can just continue to go as well as like the extent that um yeah, we need really to consider the limitations set by COVID nineteen, um, if there are any limitations. But uh, I think other than that, in general, it's really, um, yeah, it's just to help us to see how else each country can contribute, and it's also to have other opinions, because I think that's the whole point of having conferences and discussions. Mm. And other than that, I I think that one uh, letdown for this is that the country with the biggest emissions, which is China, so um, the leader actually didn't show up. I think that's one of the limitations of it all because you can't make people go for it. And um, yeah, coming from a drug student, I think a good example for me would be like the Kyoto Protocol, which is very, very dated. Uh, But yeah, yeah. even back then, uh, several countries which were like the biggest emitters of carbon dioxide, didn't participate and it's quite let down because this is supposed to be a global effort um, like Jalen you have said before that it's really globalisation and mm. now a lot of things are something that is uh, considered to be everyone's responsibility.
0: Right and of course the goal that we established in Paris which was the landmark goal that we all know 1.5 degrees uh, heating yes. right uh, that is although although um, It seems far away, but the limit for us to uh, all our combined actions together on Earth to reach that maximum degrees of heating is approaching very, very, very close. And which is why people call COP26 the most important climate conference in our history so far. Now, people have called every climate conference that for the past Tens of years, even uh, with the Kyoto Protocol, like she mentioned just now, that was one of the first, if not the first, climate change conference that actually uh, resulted in some major uh, developments. There, yeah. So, uh, Fatima, can I get your opinions on this?
1: Right. So, Europe and climate change. I feel like I've made this joke a lot of times, but you know how we are all talking about our futures and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that if. Climate change doesn't get us first, right? (laughs) So alongside the pandemic, I think climate change should really be our top priority. And like Kim mentioned, right, superpowers, like economic superpowers, especially who are not um, active on this side, it just shows, right, we cannot be divided
0: because Mm. everyone's
1: in this together. At the end of the day, what we do is going to affect everybody. So if you're gonna if you want power over people, you need to still have people to have power over. You get what my you get where I'm going with? Yeah, first? yeah. All right. So again, empty promises and that just amplifies the and you know, the anger. Especially come you know, when people it, it doesn't make sense to me when people sort of, you know, make fun of climate activists and, you know, mm-hmm. demean their efforts because If you look at it on a grand scale of things, this is probably, this should probably really be our, like, number one priority, Mm. and, yeah, it's, honestly, I feel like the same conversation has been, has been on for the past, like you said, like, 10 years, right? Maybe, give or take 10 years, so, there's not much to say about it, other than I really hope, you know, our government really does step up this time
0: right uh so i'll link my comments to the next point here which is ego side uh so i think it's worth mentioning that every country has their own way of uh, dealing with whatever situations just like uh, climate change and COVID 19 and different issues there um it, it takes a global effort yes but uh sadly to say it's not as easy as we want it to be uh, simply because of there is a very, very huge diversity of opinions and it takes a very, very large scale to actually go and accomplish anything with regards to the climate. Mm. And, and for most of us observers, they are not in actual governments here, it is very, very painful to see that, you know, the world is slowly going on and on to the edges of extinction eventually. But still, we cannot do anything about it. As much as we have protests for the climate, as much as we have, uh, you know, petitions to stop deforestation, it is the truth that some kind of very, very strong liberal and effective action, be it by uh, us, be it by a group of people, or even by the earth itself, needs to give it a turning point. For every country on Earth to follow the program, and push climate policies to the top. But then again, it, many other countries have a lot more priorities that need they need to solve beforehand. Right, mm-hmm. uh, just saying the pandemic is one of them. Uh, China has the whole issue with uh, you know, human rights abuse and mm-hmm. Taiwan and everything. The US mm-hmm. cannot get cannot figure itself out even. Mm-hmm. Um, you see, Afghanistan has all these problems with, with even stabilising their economy in the first place and, and ensuring the safety of the people. These type of problems that go on, that needs to be solved in the short term right now, always take precedent before stuff like the climate. Because yes, although we see that there have been major, major shifts in the weather and stuff like that across the world, it is not enough. The turning point is not obvious and we don't have an actual international body that has any sort of actual power to do anything really. Which is why it's stopping the world from solving this climate change issue, or at least mitigating this climate change issue uh, that we have today. And so people are afraid, right? Your children will probably grow up on an earth that is not even habitable anymore or maybe it's on another planet, who knows, Mm -hmm. but this needs to be solved. Just that the solution is there, but the facilitation of that solution is nowhere to be found, Mm -hmm. which is what is so painful about this entire issue. And yeah, so I think, you know, we have deviated a little bit from our our world map here, (laughs) but we're going to go back to Israel and Palestine. Uh, because it was in the Middle East, we kind of missed that just now. Mm. So yeah, Fatima, I think you should be the one to share this issue here.
1: Uh, so we're doing Israel and Palestine, yes. Yeah. All right. So I think this has captured everyone's attention. I do believe everyone is um, kind of familiar of what has what has what started, right? Mm. I think this issue is ancient, right? But yeah. obviously, it did blow um, up. I guess, uh, early yeah, this year. if you could
0: see that, yes.
1: Um, okay. <laughs> Alright, so, um, the same thing, um, but uh, recent developments include the change of government, or at least collapse of the Israeli government. Um, mm. It was Benjamin Netanyahu, I believe, who was the last prime minister.
0: Uh, yeah.
1: And now, who is it?
0: Uh,
1: Naftali. Sally Bennett, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. So that happened. He was the Minister of Defense before this. So, right. Sorry, Israel government. All right, the Israel government. There's a lot of information, actually. You know, this is an issue that goes back. Again, it's an ancient issue. Mm. Um, Failure to approve the budget, I believe, in by November fourteen
3: was I'm sorry
0: I, okay yeah um. <laughs> yeah okay I, I will help fatima Maybe out you a bit should. yeah here.
3: yeah
0: right so the entire premise of the issue is that you know uh history students would know that a long 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 time ago uh we have uh two groups of people the israels uh, the Israelis and the palestinians who both wanted the same land there Mm-hmm. Right, um, And the UN found a, what they call a solution, a peace plan for them to both share the land which created the state of Israel and the state of Palestine. Right, mm-hmm. And today, both countries are not friendly with one another because of the constant political and military actions they have taken against both countries by each other. Right? Which has resulted in what we saw this year. At the start of the year, we had a uh, very uh, a large increase of hostilities against uh, both Israel and Palestine, including uh, you know the use of bombs and missiles and stuff like that. I think that for for the both sides of the for the people on both sides, running to air yeah. raid shelters is a very common thing to do every single day. Which is,
1: you know, uh, just to interject, you know, we saw on social media, right? You saw posts of people hiding in bomb shelters. And Mm. what kind of reignited the issue on Israel and Palestine from the beginning of the year was basically, I believe the Israel militaries, not military, the people who were stealing, okay, maybe, okay, this is, again, I'm not taking a stance on the issue. I'm just letting Mm. you guys know, right? So when they kind of invaded the Sheikh Zahra neighborhood, in uh-huh. Palestine, okay, and right, that really derailed into a, such a big issue because people were stealing land, right? People were uh, kicking families out of the right, homes. and that was that was very sad to see. You know, we heard from on at least on social media. You know, the rough mm. and the it was it was and you know the bombing at the Aqsa mosques,
3: mm. right?
1: Yeah, it again the Palestinian. Palestine Palestinian crisis is has been a human humanitarian, uh, sorry, a humanitarian <laughs> crisis for so long, right?
3: Yeah. I
1: think you'll see on UN advert, Edward and all that. It's again, all of these wars are have been prolonged for so long. It's almost like it's normal, right? And I think, yeah. you really think it's you never know. You never know when it's gonna
3: end.
0: But yeah. Uh, and it's sad because. I teach the history of what happened in Israel and Palestine, and the same conflict is still con- is still continuing today, even though the original start of the conflict was is being taught in our history books today, which is which says a lot about what, or rather, what inaction has been taken uh, to address this issue at hand, and of course, uh, on social media we have seen, like you said. Uh, A lot of people sharing their comments and their opinions for both sides of the argument, Palestine or Israel. And of course, some do take the stance of humanitarian issues for both sides as well. Problem is, only, like I said, the whole idea of turning points here is is very prevalent in our society. People don't care about anything until they see that turning point. And the turning point for this year, which led to the outburst of uh, support on social media, was the bombings, right? Uh, Like, the, the, the conflict, the re, the, how do I put this? You have seen images of Palestinians taking cover, Palestinian buildings being bombed, Israelis taking cover and whatnot, which gave rise to the social media argument. But shortly after that, just a few months after, nobody is talking about it anymore right there's no more conversation about it and so that is the problem today that there are so many issues that need to be solved but people can't devote any time to any of those because of the lack of a turning point here right so kim your opinions
2: yeah it's really about the humanity because when I read like the articles and all that, I mean, I also read about how it's not just uh, adults; it's also children and youth, mm. and it's really like robbing them of a chance to have a good, um, yeah, have a good childhood and just uh, be able to live their life well. I mean, yeah, I think when you compare to Singapore, it's really, it really has like it needs a shift of perspective because mm. of how um their yeah, country is really not that well off. And um of course I think that there are of course those like charity pages and uh, yeah it's it's really good to just um, kind of hits through the situation there because this war it's not it's not just being um, bad for them. It's also kind of going to be bad for us if, um, right. after like they have this war, they just want to go against other people all over the world. That kind of thing. It's just it's, it's terrible that we still have wars because mm. not only does it affect the people, it also affects the economy. And there's so much money that needs to be put into rebuild uh, infrastructure and all that. And right. add <laughs> to that, we still have things to really look out for, which is of course the pandemic. And mm. uh, yeah.
1: This. I feel like this, again, I think this reminds us of the steps that need to be taken on an international level.
3: Yeah.
1: Because this is a failure on part of everybody in the world. You know, people are still dying, right. children are still dying. And it's, and it's
3: mm-hmm.
0: yeah. Yeah. So uh, like every episode of this series here, I have voiced my discontent over wars and conflicts. Every single time, somehow, I managed to say that I mean, it's not just Israel and Palestine. It's all across the world, be it internal or external conflicts. Russia and Ukraine are on the brink of war here. Mm-hmm. You have civil war in Ethiopia. You have um, proxy wars uh, in the Middle East. You have what we can consider some sort of civil war in America that people can't get anything done anymore. And, you know, uh, exactly where we're going to move to next, which is America here, Uh, because of the diversity of issues and the huge amount of freedoms that have been allocated there, there are so many problems that we can analyse with America. And of course, to be fair to them, they have done quite a big step there, which is to approve the Build Back Better Act, I think. Uh, which is a Build Back Better Act and a lot of bipartisan infrastructure acts that have been passed in recent uh, months. And I think it's a bit sad to say that an achievement for America is to pass laws. That, that, <laughs> I mean, you can tell what, what we think about uh, the American uh, government at that point in time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so we will move to America now, if you don't mind. Okay, so I think the first thing we should point out is just a few weeks ago, another uh, school in America suffered a very terrible uh, mass shooting event uh, in Oxford, Michigan, I think. yes,
3: mm-hmm.
0: yeah. Again, uh, uh, every time we talk about America, it's the same few issues they have yeah. never been solved. Even since our maiden episode uh, last year, last November, we been won actually more than a year, right? Uh, it's still happening, which which is sad. Even though there is this pandemic and everything that's going on, many many students are still being murdered on a on like even a weekly basis at this point that is very, very heart-wrenching for all of us, especially for me as an educator myself, right? Why can't our children and our students have a place to just learn safely? That is the most minimum requirement for a school, to be safe, at least, at the very least. Fatima?
1: Last time we were here, I gave you guys statistics on gun violence and shootings right
3: yeah
1: and you know we heard the age range of these kids i don't i don't know what more a government would need to step in and really take action i understand that every, a lot of people are rallying for it it's just you know, mm. an issue of bipartisan support this person don't agree that person don't agree really mm. i mean I and mean, you know it's not just gun safety blah 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 gun regulation the parents of that, of the perpetrator of the shooting, mm. a 15-year-old, the parents gave him gave it to him as a birthday gift. I mean, wow. come on. If we don't see a problem with, I, I think we all see a problem with, it. I'm not sure how others don't.
3: Mm.
1: Infringing on right amendment, blah, 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 please. Okay, you know we were talking about the Sedition Act in the beginning?
3: Uh-huh. We were
1: talking about how these are old acts, right? These are yeah. old colonial times, blah, blah. This just goes to show: you need you need to change with the times. You cannot rely on policies, regardless of what it's on, from hundreds of years ago. For them, it's even (laughs) worse. That's literally hundreds of years ago. I mean, come on! There is no. I don't. I'm sure a lot of them are parents, and them being the people who oppose gun uh, regulation and things like that. I'm sure they're parents. You know, as you know, you see the recording that the one of the students took of. The shooter pretending pretending to be the sheriff, right? Mm. It shivers down my spine. You know, these are kids that are in school. Like you're learning math, and the next moment you're fearing for your lives.
3: Yeah,
1: that's <laughs> that, that's disgusting. The fact that people are allowing that to continue happening.
3: Yeah,
0: it's
1: such a scary reality. You know. I
0: yeah I don't think adults should have guns. Why should children have guns in the first place? All that right. that's even worse. <laughs> right me your, your, your opinions here.
2: Yeah. yeah, okay. I mean, it's really so tragic and I think what else is, I actually looked at the news articles on like the people who died and mm. I think, of course, a lot of people are praising that uh, one guy, I think his name was Tate. Yeah, they, they were praising him because he actually did try to um, just uh stop the entire shooting by like approaching mm. the gunman himself and uh, yeah, I mean, praise for that guy but you look at the ages of the victims, it's, it's so heartbreaking just knowing yeah. that... um. They are just around our age, and even the youngest one is actually one year younger than us, which was so heartbreaking. Because you can see, mm-hmm. I think, again, just me being a busybody, but I went to her account because I found the, the pictures from her school, and you can see that mm-hmm. a lot of them were preparing for the Christmas season, okay? They are preparing to get their entire year restarted next to 2022, and it's like everything was ready. And then, yeah, this just, just came, and it's it's heartbreaking uh, because mm. really again it's the parents of the boy who got the gun for him and I really don't understand why America just continues allowing people to have guns when yeah. so much has happened. And this is um I think that this is a like became a big thing for news outlets because of course again it's in the school but mm. overall there are many shootings um around America and overall it's just terrible that we
0: have, or America has not learned from it. Yeah, and and again, this this is an international repercussion. Here in Singapore, uh, we see what is going on uh, in uh, the US, and I think one of the tragedies that we had this year was uh, the incident over at River Valley uh, right. in the middle mm-hmm. of the year, right? Which was very um, it's very saddening to see, jarring very jarring, incident. yeah. Uh, to see something like that that's never happened in Singapore ever. And it just it just makes everybody wonder why and, and what needs to be done. And I see right uh, now our policies, uh, if you didn't know if both of you didn't know is we have to teach students as young as in kindergarten how to defend themselves from intruders to their school premises. And including stuff like lockdown drills, Mm
3: -hmm. which
0: is, (laughs) I don't know how to feel about that, because uh, you know, you we used to have fire drills and whatnot, right?
3: Right. Now
0: we have to protect ourselves. Yeah, it's it's. (laughs) I don't think there's a word I can use to describe this feeling. I guess, but it's just so painful in a way to see our children having to learn all of the, these things to just protect themselves and allow themselves to have a just even a basic safe environment to study in if, if the system wasn't already stressful enough right. uh, yeah, I, I i i don't know okay uh moving on i think uh another thing that came out of america a few weeks ago was the, the few trials that we had uh they had rather uh, Kyle Rittenhouse mm. uh, and all like that. So I think with regards to the Kyle Rittenhouse uh, trial, Fatima, do you want to share a bit more about that?
1: Right, so the Kyle Rittenhouse murder, I believe, was uh, because of the... Sorry, just gave me a minute, yeah? Um, did you know that um, Republican Congress person Madison Cawthorn um, offered him a, uh, internship I think that was just like, wow, that w- that was jarring, you know. You see mm. people of that. that really tells you a lot about the landscape, the mm. political landscape on that side. But anyways, um, so the acquittal of Kyle Rittenhouse, so basically what happened was he's a 17-year-old and he fatally shot two men and wounded another in Wisconsin. So this was in 2020, in August of 2020. Mm. So it was... There were protests, there were, you know, so many things happened within all that, you know, there was the George Floyd um, yeah. murder, and also the sentencing that we are going to talk about later. So, mm. a little bit more on written house, he used a semi-automatic that he asked from a friend,
3: right? And, yeah.
1: wow, I mean, this is, this, it, it, I'm getting shivers just reading about it, I think if you guys like from the moment we started talking about school shootings, if you can hear it in our voices, this is such scary things, right? Mm. So, uh, shootings the shootings occurred during the protests, riots and all that was happening during the which followed the shooting of a black man Jacob Blake by a white uh. police officer. So, yeah. we'll talk about more about the charges against Rittenhouse. First degree in, intentional homicide, first degree reckless homicide, Attempted first-degree intentional homicide and first-degree recklessly endangering safety, he was not guilty on all charges.
3: Mm. That that
1: angers me so much. Like, two people are dead and there were no charges. Like, can you imagine the pain of the families? And, you know, again, you know, I feel like a lot of shootings happen in America. It's just Mm. there are some that are sensationalized, there are some that are not, right? And this yeah. became an entire media frenzy, right? You saw it all over, and again, Republicans jump in. Actually, everyone jumps in. Suddenly, everyone <laughs> has something to say, because now it becomes a political issue more than you know. Uh, yeah. The fact that someone died, like people died, right? The I cannot wrap my head around the callousness to human, the loss of human life. Yeah. You know the fact that it has been, it's become so normal. Normal, like it's something normal, because it's not right. Taking a life, a life. Mm. Someone taking someone's life is not normal. That goes against everything <laughs> that we have learned, morally and in nature. Yeah. It is mm-hmm. it's really sad to see, and the fact that some people are still, you know, um, so happy about his acquittal. It's disgusting, honestly. On my side, at least. Yeah. You yeah,
2: it's it's the justice system, uh, really. Yeah.
0: Mm. So, uh, my question to the people of America, why does a young man in Kenosha, Wisconsin need a semi-automatic rifle? For what? What is he going to use that thing for? It is nowhere near any hunting sites, he's not in the war zone, he's just living in a typical American city centre why does he need an ar-15 a gun that can split someone in half in a matter of milliseconds why like i I mentioned beforehand many many times the second amendment was written in 17 don't know what and (laughs) the guns they had then were muskets that took five minutes to reload just for one shot that is very different from the guns we have today, like Fatima mentioned just now. Times have changed dude, it's been 200 years, no, 300 plus years. <laughs> Why is the second amendment still not amended, we need an amendment for the amendment. So yeah, uh, Kim your opinions here
2: yeah it's really just how can the justice system let a man who killed people walk away with no charges which is just really i mean is this really a system that we want like why can't we change the laws i mean okay it maybe it does take effort to change the laws but still it's to protect humanity it's to protect the livelihoods of the rest of the people because can you imagine if somebody just um he just walks up on the street, and then, uh, yeah, they're, they're carrying a gun, but you cannot see it. And then, like, um, because of some so-called self-defense acts, then they yeah. have to use their gun, and then it kills someone. And if it's someone you love, or even the person right next to you, maybe standing on the street next to you, that kind of thing, it, it's scary, okay? It's not yeah. just um, loss of life, it's also the trauma it causes for people surrounding them, and, yeah, it's just, it's unfair.
1: That's yes, the whole
0: point. Yeah, it is unfair. It is unfair, definitely. Yeah. And, and it, it, for, even for us here in Singapore, right, if we ever want to consider going to America for holiday, to study or to visit family, friends, it's literally something that we have to consider that we might get shot at in the middle of the street <laughs> just because of our skin colour, right? We look different from the people in America and because of that, we are even higher targets for, you know, this type of people that are trying to just go out and get blood. Even, right? They're not even doing it for some. Uh, I mean, some of them are just doing it for fun. Even, which is mm. even more crazy, I think. Yeah. So, I don't understand the rationale behind it. Many countries have already, in fact, most of the world has implemented stricter laws to even stop uh, people from from committing such acts. Take Switzerland, for example. The most heavily armed countries per capita in the world, they have not had a mass shooting in 20 over years. And America has one almost every single day, which is scary to imagine. If I
1: could interject here, right? That, That makes you think, right? Laws, law is one thing, right? Governments and mm. the laws that they choose to implement and enforce is one thing. The people is another, right? Yeah, exactly. It is such a divided nation, right? Because mm. of, essentially because of the party politics, right? Because yeah. suddenly now that's everyone's identity. You're either a liberal, a
3: conservative,
1: <laughs> conservative, or whatever it is, lah, huh? so it... it there is no reason to make everything political. I think that's mm. what we everyone there really has to take a step back and really like yeah really see because I feel like everything is just now being blinded by oh my god, liberals say it's okay, it's good. So conservatives are just immediately no, right? So it's like yeah, yeah. one like person will say yes, like for the for the it's like it's almost like just to spite each other.
3: Mm. Yeah, exactly how
1: government should not work. Like what's not clicking? I'm so confused. Anyone, yeah. you can put the 12-year-old on the hills, on the hills, on the Senate floor, and they would tell you the same thing. It's mm. literally logic at this point. I don't know, man.
0: And, and, and they are like children, you know, playing a game and, and oh, trying no. to, you know, spy one another. Just that this fight that they have has effects on billions of people all across America and the world. And they are actually like children. Like, why 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 and, and 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 i i thought that you know the insurrection on january 6 would teach them some sort of lesson but i guess it just made things worse even like you can see all those uh, children inside the congress uh, all cowering behind uh, their chairs and not well people try to insurrect uh the u.s Capitol. that's exactly what is happening to our the students in America, just normal people on the streets, people with guns trying to kill them. Do they not learn anything?
2: Honestly, uh, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. I think it's really a problem of too much liberance. Really, mm. it's just it's just whole thing about liberance. I mean, it it tells good on the surface, like having your freedom yeah. to make choices and everything. But at the same time, it's terrible because you're open to everybody expressing their own opinion and. Yeah. By expressing their own opinion, I mean um, enforcing these kind of things. Like you said, um, having this kind of fight with people just because of the party that you choose, which is, is childish. And I think, of course, it makes sense that you want to be fighting against somebody who has different views from you because mm-hmm. um, they think that some so-called humanitarian thing is just uh, wrong. I think that's obviously um, their fault because they cannot see things eye to eye. But overall, there are other things that you can also discuss without having to bring in politics because this is the thing the country it just focused so it it focuses so much on the whole biden trump debate and also like the republican uh, democrats they really fail to notice how it's like overall how the other people in their country like the benefits that come from it they only look at the bad things that they associate with something that's Mm. done badly so for example if they Want to talk about Biden, they're gonna associate him with um like we discussed earlier, the whole Afghanistan failure. Yeah. And if we wanna talk about Trump, there's so much that we can talk about him, but I I don't want to list it. So <laughs> really, it's just focusing on the bad of the other party and that is what yeah. makes it so terrible. Because they don't wanna look at the good. They only wanna focus on how um their country was so called destroyed. Yeah.
1: And then they just end up doing that, you know? I will say this though. We live in a civilized society and I agree what you said about freedoms, right? Everyone is going to have opposing opinions. We're never going to get a consensus. I believe Jalen has said this in a number yeah. of our podcasts, right? Mm. People need to... There's something called self-censorship. There's just something that you should not say. Like it's, it's like... Yeah. Yeah, man. I don't know. Maybe his common sense is different in different parts of the world, but come on. Yeah, yeah. So, I exactly.
0: uh, uh, So, you? yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> just thought I caught, you know, the representatives on in the U.S. Cap- uh, in the Congress. Children, I think that's not a fair comparison, because mm-hmm. the thirteen and fourteen years olds I teach, know better than them. <laughs> they know how to exercise their rights responsibly better than those people sitting in Capitol Hall, right there. Mm-hmm. So, I I don't get what. <laughs> why can't these old ass people understand the whole idea here (laughs) that you know you have a responsibility to your constituents and to the people of america Mm -hmm. you are not there to fight you are there to represent and you represent the for the good of everybody in the country not just yourself Mm -hmm. not just your party party politics will kill people as you can see so In the end, like just now you mentioned about liberalism and freedoms and stuff like that, everybody wants freedom. Freedom is great, but you can have the freedom. But to what extent are you going to utilize that freedom for good or for bad? Mm -hmm. Same thing, you can't shout fire in a crowded building. People are going to kill one another by stampede or whatnot. But is it a right for the American people? Yes, it is. You have the freedom of speech to say that, but in the end, we're still gonna prosecute you because you killed that many people. So it's the same argument for for even the Second Amendment rights. You have the right, but you should, you must use it responsibly. If not, I can always take the right away, which is the correct system to go. This is called moderalism. In the middle, you cannot be too authoritarian, you cannot be too liberal. Yeah, everything in moderation is the best be it calories or gun control or something like that everything should be moderate On the moderation okay what else can we talk about what time is it oh it's 2 fif- oh no it's 2 hour 15 minutes All right so we have a lot more issues to talk about but uh i don't think we have enough time to talk about that today Right. I you know we miss one whole continent, Africa and South America.
3: Oh,
0: no. I'm sorry, but you know, there's way too much things that are going on uh, in the mm. world for this year. And, you know, we expect much more from next year. So we just got to end it here, I guess, uh, if you don't mind. Um, yeah. So like I said at the start of this uh, episode, just take the rest of this year, December, right? There's only about four more weeks left. Please, can we all just have four weeks of peace and harmony together without any shenanigans or whatever, and just take this holiday time to celebrate, to meet up with our families virtually, and just hope for the best of the new year. That is sincerely my hope. For at least four weeks. I'm sure we can manage four weeks, just four weeks, right? Fatima, <laughs> closing remarks.
1: Um, I agree with everything. Let's all remember that you know we are at in a we're battling a crisis that will unfortunately continue on to next year. Stay safe. Happy holidays, everyone. Everyone in Singapore. Um. Uh, enjoy the rest of your holidays before another stressful academic year begins <laughs> and yeah stay safe everybody happy holidays
0: yeah kim your closing remarks
2: yeah uh, everybody just
0: uh, yeah
2: let's hope for a happy end to the year and uh, about that it's also ready to keep safe and uh, yeah do whatever we're responsible for which is uh, of course to maintain um our social distancing and just all the code measures along with the social responsibility which is to uh not start fights and you know the basic comments and stuff
0: so, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so yeah thank you for all of those that are still listening here uh, for bearing with our voices for two hours and 17 minutes <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah please follow and support us like always on our instagram page and anywhere you can find us you have expanded really to a lot a lot of places now, and which I'm very thankful for that. And yeah, you. <laughs> and yeah, so again, we hope that you have a very happy, peaceful rest of 2021. And we will see you probably sometime next year, right? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, happy holidays and have a great new year's, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye.
3: Backbeard, near the backdoor, near the